Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host who did not step on my line this time. I'll have what she's having. It's me, everybody. Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, but you can call me daddy. (laughs) I will not. You can. You're very happy because... In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about Jason's personal pick. What is that? My personal pick, When Harry Met Sally, and let me just say this up front, the best romantic comedy ever made. All right. Bold statement. Although I feel like a lot of people would agree with you. I think so. I think a lot of people would. And uh, I know it was like on the AFI list of, it was the number six best comedy, uh, romantic comedy ever made. And you know what I say, AFI? Get your act together. Was it number six romantic comedy or just comedy? No, when they did the genres, like oh, okay. 10 best of each genre. Yeah. It was like number six romantic comedy. Like, give me What a was break. number one? Like, it happened one night? I maybe? didn't even look the because I was, story? I was so disgusted with it. Wow. Okay. Jason, lots of strong attitudes <laughs> in this episode about a nice comedy about people falling in love. Yeah, I'm going to defend it with uh, vigilance. I guess so. Um, so, yeah, it's a nice movie. <laughs> oh, we're going to fight. <laughs> when Harry Met Sally, starring, uh, starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, written by Nora Ephron and directed by Rob Reiner. It was a big hit in 1989. It grossed $93.1 million on its $16 million budget. And it was interesting to me to see that this is a movie that was a platform release. It kind of built on the word of mouth. This seems like such a mainstream movie, but it was treated almost like an art house movie at first. Yeah, well, it was released against Batman and Indiana Jones and uh, The Last Crusade. So where was this going to find its audience? And it did find its audience yes. through like these pockets of like, oh, well, you know, while you're at it, why don't you go take the the significant other to this hilarious romp of friends who become more than friends, or maybe they don't in when Harry met Sally. <laughs> Thankfully, Jason did not create the advertising for this film. It would have been spot on. Yeah. <laughs> was also nominated for an Oscar for best original screenplay for Nora Ephron, although it did not win. That went to Tom Schulman, Dead Poets Society. And we talked about this in our Sex, Lies, and Videotape episode because Soderbergh was nominated. Oh, yeah. Uh, Woody Allen was nominated for Crimes and Misdemeanors. Spike Lee for Do the Right Thing. And uh, that, and those were your five. That's quite a category. Although I, I have not seen Dead Poets Society, so I can't speak to that. But otherwise, those are some really good screenplays. Don't let that stop you, Josh. Just talk about it and uh, show a little confidence. I loved you know the dead poets in it. I thought the, <laughs> the, the society aspect Yeah, really something. fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Question, guys. Is this the first director that you've done twice on the show? Yes. Of all the directors who have ever made films, the first one to get two episodes of Awesome Movie Year is Rob uh, Reiner. <laughs> this is, But that's great because... We've done arguably his worst film and now arguably his best film. Arguably his worst film. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, probably his worst film, North, right? I would think so. I'm just saying, and this is, you could argue that this is his best movie. You could argue, yeah. I mean, this is this is during the period, and I think as we talked about in our North episode, this was during the period where he was just making one massive hit classic film after another. Yeah. And that continued after this for a little bit. Yeah. He was just a comet of high quality 
excellent films. Exactly. Put that tagline along with your other one in the advertising for this film. So you love this movie. Did you see it? I mean, I assume not in 1989. When did you first see it? I saw it as a young boy. (laughs) I mean, you could have, I suppose. I asked my, uh, my third grade sweetheart to go on a little date. Yeah, no, that's not true at all. That would have so, been a nice story. I want to be Billy uh, Crystal when I grow up. Yeah, yeah. we said, we, said uh, we don't know what these orgasms are, but I guess she's faking it well. So. Yeah. No, uh, the truth is, I saw this for the first time last year, okay. 2019. And it, it, it rocketed to the top of your list. And that was pretty amazing because that's 30 years after. And, and I was just like, holy cow, this feels like it could have been made today. And it's still... It, just as fresh it's awesome i love this movie yeah and so you first saw it last year and now how many times have you seen it total two. Oh, okay i thought it was going to be a larger number no. but that was a bit anticlimactic there no. although i feel like i uh delivered that with some good you did there, yeah you, know? you really did give it some some weight there so yeah i don't remember i saw it uh, not in 1989 but not in 2019 either somewhere in between those two years I saw it, rented it because it was a well-known classic. And I remember thinking that it was nice back then. I think I didn't have a particular strong response either way. And watching it again, I, I mean, I enjoy it. I think I definitely don't have the, the passion for it that you do, but I think it's an entertaining movie. That's cool. I yeah. mean, you're kind of a heartless human being, and I could see how this would not affect you in the same way as it would other human beings with hearts. That's fair. Um, human beings with hearts generally enjoyed this film when it was released. <laughs> it got an A plus from CinemaScore, the audience polling service. Uh, and that is about as rare as getting an F. Uh, it's, it's hard to get that the highest possible rating. So that speaks to how much people loved this movie. It got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert, although uh, Siskel uh, in the parlance of uh, Siskel and Ebert gave it a marginal thumbs up. Uh, Ebert was more enthused about it. In his written review, Roger Ebert said, Harry is played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan is Sally, and they make a good movie couple because both actors are able to suggest genuine warmth and tenderness. This isn't a romance of passion, although passion is present, but one that becomes possible only because the two people have grown up together, have matured until they can finally see clearly what they really want in a partner. And then I also wanted to quote this part because this is sort of a, a, an ironic assessment here later in the, in the review. Efron's dialogue represents the way people would like to be able to talk. It's witty and epigrammatic, and there are lots of lines to quote when you're telling friends about the movie. The dialogue would defeat many actors, but Crystal and Ryan help it to work. Their characters seem smart and quick enough to almost be this witty. It's only occasionally that the humor is paid for at the expense of credibility as in a hilarious but unconvincing scene where Sally sits in a crowded restaurant and demonstrates how to fake an orgasm. I laughed, but somehow I didn't think Sally or any woman would really do that. And in the Siskel and Ebert review, he also points out that scene as his least favorite thing in the movie. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I I guess we haven't seen anything up to that point in the film where she's this kind of boisterous... uh, human being who doesn't get embarrassed and will just throw her inhibitions to the wind. So as famous as that scene was, I could see that, uh, that um, Ebert's problem with it. You know, 
the whole thing with that scene, do you know the history of that scene? I mean, I read a little bit about it, and I think it was Meg Ryan's initial idea to to have that scene there. They wanted Sally to have some Billy moment. Crystal said, we need to give something to Sally here. We gotta, yeah. you know, we've been following the Harry character. We need to give her something. And then they said, you know, fake orgasms, let's do something. That that's a funny topic. And then Meg Ryan said, Well, why don't I just fake one? And then, you know, they shot it like all day. And all and it's one of the famous iconic scenes in in cinema history. Right. I mean, and that was why I wanted to note that because it's funny that that Ebert is so dismissive of it that it became not only like notable from this film, but people who have never seen this film or maybe even never even heard of this film would recognize that scene right i think so this is the iconic moment of the movie yeah but there are other iconic moments there are there are there are quite a lot as he says there are a lot of quotable lines this movie had a huge impact which we will talk about more later i'm sure more generally positive sheila benson in the los angeles times said bless harry and sally's hearts over the course of their 11 years under our bemused scrutiny they actually talk to each other in splendid, risable exchanges that fly by with the speed and delicacy of a great badminton game. Bless to director Rob Reiner and credited screenwriter Nora Ephron for ladling out the pleasure with so generous and tender a hand. It makes When Harry Met Sally the summer's uncorseted, unqualified delight. When Harry Met Sally, the badminton games of romantic <laughs> comedy. Yes, but that back and forth idea of the banter, I think, is one of the main things that works well about this movie probably carries the movie i mean it's their relationship and the way they deliver towards one another right yeah it's more about the way that they talk than i mean they have really good chemistry but this isn't a movie that is about you know sexiness necessarily it's about the wittiness of the way that the characters speak to each other yeah i mean there's so much to like about it beyond that like the locations and the music but you know we'll get to all yeah yeah but i i think that is really the core of the movie and it was generally well-reviewed, but on a uh, less positive angle, Karen James in the New York Times said, on and off for 11 years, Harry and Sally ostensibly debate whether men and women can be non-sexual friends. But that issue instantly evaporates and the question becomes, when will they realize they were made for each other? What Harry and Sally do in the meantime, the true focus of this often funny but amazingly hollow film is saunter through the romanticized lives of intelligent, successful, neurotic New Yorkers. Reiner has a simple faith in faded love, which makes his film cute and sentimental rather than romantic and charming. When Harry Met Sally is like the sitcom version of a Woody Allen film, full of amusing lines and scenes, all infused with an uncomfortable sense of deja vu. She says like faded love, like, like it's a bad thing, but literally the entire spine of this movie are tales of faded love with other ca- couples. You know, that's how we get from sequence to sequence. Right. So uh, take that take that criticism and you hit it with a badminton racket, you Karen James. Uh, I did, even in the positive reviews, I didn't quote these parts from the other reviews because it seemed redundant, but basically every review mentions Woody Allen. And I think sure. at the time this was really seen as like a Woody Allen clone. I don't think it's a clone. I think the tone is different, but I mean, are we going to sit back and say that, you know, Annie Hall didn't uh, influence every romantic comedy to come after it? Probably not. That that would be fair to say, right? You know, yeah. I mean, and I think this is sort of the smoothed out version of that. I mean, you could say that Annie Hall influenced every romantic comedy, but then this movie took that and you could say, I think 
since this movie came out, this is more influential than Annie Hall. I agree. I think this is the most influential romantic comedy. But yeah, you're right. It took, it took, uh, you know, Annie Hall what won Best Picture and all this and that. But this is like, this is the one that lives on kind of in pop culture as the quintessential romantic comedy. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, so, any other background on this film that you wanted to mention? Uh, let's see. Background, Josh. What do you want? You tell me what you want. I had anything that you wanted to mention. Well, we got, uh, you know, Nora Ephron won the BAFTA. She also had a Writers Guild nomination. The um, I thought something that was interesting is that the way the dialogue, not just for uh, for Harry and his best friend, Jess, played by the great Bruno Kirby, and also for Harry and Sally, a lot of it is based on how Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner talked to each other. They were like best friends at this point in time. They would call each other at night and channel surf and talk on the phone and like you see that easygoing kind of you know real could could happen to any one of us dialogue you know with with these characters so um and then of course you know the other big thing is this was this i would say uh propelled meg ryan into different stratosphere yeah yeah and we, we can talk about that later but i i do like that like the idea that again and 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 one of these Reviews mentions Nora Ephron as the credited writer because so much was drawn from the lives of Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal and from Nora Ephron, who drew a lot from her own life and her friends and yeah. her friends to, to write for Sally. But this does feel like something that has a lot of roots in real lived experience, even though it's still constructed in a Hollywood way. So we'll then uh, take a break and come back and talk about our general thoughts on When Harry Met Sally. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about Jason's personal pick, When Harry Met Sally, Hooray, which he loves. Jason. Hooray for Jason. Hooray. Hooray for Harry and Sally. So, so what 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 do you love most about this movie? I just, just everything worked for me from uh, that you know the intro scenes where you're seeing like these kind of faux documentary style couples talking about how they fell in love to the. It's all sequential. You know, we see Harry and Sally. And the first thing we see is Harry kissing another woman and then Sally driving up. And you're like, what? Wait, I, I thought this was about, you know, the two of them, right? And then the first sequence is them driving from Chicago to New York after college and they don't get along. And then it cuts to five years later and they meet. And it, the second sequence all takes place in an airport and on an airplane and they don't get along again. And then it's not until the third sequence where we start to see them after bitter breakups, like kind of in a different phase of their life. And, you know, their early 30s, that's when they start to become friends. And it just defies all the convention of, hey, we're meeting. It's a meet cute. You know, we like each other, but we're angry at each other. And like the friendship of this really kind of comes through, which is which is the point. Right. Can can man and a woman become friends and just be friends and that you know i could see that as a as an argument at the end like well you showed that they couldn't you know but i feel like this um this takes everything you know about romantic comedies and like kind of topples it and everything works i don't think there's one thing in this movie that doesn't work and it's hilarious the dialogue's hilarious and the performances are great music the setting i mean this is such a great new york movie like uh, tell me what you didn't like. Well, I mean, I, I, first of all, I want to say that I did like the movie. I mean, I don't like it as much as you do, but I 
like I said before, I think it's very entertaining. I think the biggest strength is it is quite funny. Like a lot of times with comedies, the older they get, even if you like watching it, it's less likely that you're going to like laugh at the jokes or whatever. But I definitely laughed while watching this movie. I thought it was funny. And the two leads have good chemistry. I'm not a Billy Crystal fan at all. And I still thought that they worked well together. See, I know you're not a Billy Crystal fan, but like in this role, was there something that you thought he didn't accomplish? Um, I mean, I think Billy Crystal in general is very shticky. And there's parts of him, the one scene where he does the funny voice between the scene between Harry and Sally, where he says, now we're going to talk in this funny voice. And they go back and forth with the funny voice. I, that to me was like the epitome of what I find annoying about Billy Crystal. Um, I don't know. I know you always mention alternate casting possibilities. I don't remember who else was in the running, if anyone, maybe not anyone. Oh, because I got it was, him listed, but was based on the, the life of, in part, the friendship. But I could see enjoying this movie just as much, if not more, with a different person in that role. Well, here were the, here were the people, okay, if we want to go over it this early. Okay. <laughs> Tom Hanks turned it down. Yeah. And yet, and then two years later, did like sleepless. And sleepless right. Right. Said this was too much of like a lightweight role, they said. Uh, Michael Keaton was up for it. We all love Keaton. Michael would have been Keaton, fantastic. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think the, the one that I saw on the list that I thought would have been great was Albert Brooks, you know? Yeah. Uh, who is kind of uh, Billy Crystal without the shtick, I could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Know? I mean, he's almost maybe too close to Woody Allen, though, that would get those comparisons even stronger. I guess. I, th I think Albert Brooks is like his own personal yeah. genius. Yeah. Um, and then the other names I saw, we all love Bill Murray. 89, this would have been an interesting... Yeah, I don't know choice. if that would have quite worked for Bill Murray. The Dude, Jeff Bridges. Not sure how that would have gone. I could have seen that. Yeah, and then... Uh, comedy superhero Harrison Ford. Yeah, that would have been a bad idea. Um so some of those I think you would have think, been good. Sally. Yeah. Yeah, I would know if a woman faked with me. <laughs> That's not a bad Harrison Ford impression. Uh then the women and then you know he offered it to Susan Day, LA Law. Right? Yeah, I'm not that familiar with her. Yeah, Elizabeth Perkins, Elizabeth McGovern and almost went to Molly Ringwald, which would have been interesting in the late 80s. Yeah. Cuz that would have been a very different you know a very mature part for her I'd say. right and there is an age difference i think billy crystal in real life is like 13 years older than meg ryan and they're not meant to be nearly as far apart but you know this movie takes place over such a long period of time that maybe in the beginning of the movie billy crystal is playing much younger than he really is and in the toward the end of the movie meg ryan is playing a little older than she really is and it kind of balances out yeah and and this goes back i know you're not a billy crystal fan but i mean he had he had a, a major run there also, you know, this and then City Slickers and, um, you know, analyze this, whatever. But uh, but no, I thought he was very good. The one criticism I saw is like, was he able to be vulnerable enough? And, um, you know, I thought that was a fair criticism. But at the same point in time, this he was, uh, you know, a depressed person who had trouble letting people in. So how vulnerable can you be if you don't let other people in? Right. I mean, I think eventually you have to accept that he's let Sally in in order to buy into their relationship. Yes. But but I think that's it's OK that he expresses like the character expresses his vulnerability or expresses his depression in a different way. He gets kind of like numb to things when he's feeling terrible. And whereas Sally, when she has, you know, that big scene when she finds out that her ex is getting married and she's she's crying, she's much more demonstrative about her emotions. but. You can tell, I think the movie does get across that both of them have these moments of real 
despair at different times over their past relationships. Sure, but, and, and the way it works is the way they set up the characters where in that first sequence, he says, you know, you don't really have a dark side. And she's, I have a dark side. I'm like, no, you're too busy being happy. And she's like, there's nothing wrong with being happy. And that's what we kind of see through these characters. But I mean, there's just so many, um, you know, we mentioned the I'll have what she's having, which, uh, which the line from uh, Rob Reiner's mother, yes. Estelle Reiner. But there's so many incredible scenes in this. Uh, the scene where after Harry and Sally finally sleep together and they both call their best friends, you know, Jess and uh, Marie, played by Carrie Fisher. And they had to shoot that on three sets. It took 60 takes or 61 takes because it was like this overlapping dialogue like kind of throwback to those 1950s movies and um i just thought like all that and you know the stuff with harry and sally on the phone working uh you know the stuff with the with the two guys at the giant game where they're he's talking about his divorce but they're oh, they have the to wave, do the wave that's a know? very funny scene yeah yeah there's just so much so much stuff um you know harry's in a good mood they're shopping for the wedding they're at the sharper image and they're singing oklahoma when he sees his ex-wife just everything worked for me i don't know man and like i said i've watched it uh more than once now and <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's just as lovely now as it was last year <laughs> the first time yeah. i saw it with my third grade sweetheart right you're gonna corinne make up palmer. a name for her no i remember in third grade uh corinne palmer all right moved from uh new jersey to like tennessee and probably missed out on uh, that boat there yeah shout out to her if you're listening corinne Hello. <laughs> that wasn't creepy. So, I mean, I, I think I like all those things that you mentioned. If you want to get into st stuff that I didn't like, I mean, I do think on the level of, I don't know if it's about Billy Crystal's performance or the writing and maybe it's on purpose, but I didn't like Harry in the first, I thought he was obnoxious until they get to the point where they meet the third time and he's kind of a broken so person. So did Sally. Right. That's the point. Right. So maybe that is the point, but it made me, it took work to get me on the side of wanting them to be together. I yeah. think. I mean, he was a cocky young guy uh, who was living, uh, living up the life in New York city. And then he got married and he had to be broken to be more sympathetic. And he and Sally probably couldn't have been friends, you know, the first time they met uh, based on where they were. And it took those heartbreaks for them to be able to get to know, know each other. But that's what I think is so brilliant about this movie, right? Like, they're not friends till like a half hour in. And then you get all those fun, you know, fun and game scenes where they're just walking through the park or they're at a restaurant and every bit of dialogue they have with each other is just so good. Like it's just, you learn something about the character each time and how they relate to one another. And just like, they're a perfect fit for each other's lives, you know, even if they just stay friends, which was the original ending. Right. And I, which I think also would have been a much better ending. I think that both Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner wanted that too, but then they said, Hey, we're making a movie in this. Right. Movie. It has to have the Hollywood. But, uh, but it wasn't earned. I thought the ending as it is, is earned. Yeah. The ending is earned. I mean, I think that's another thing that kind of bugs me and I don't know if I should blame the movie, but the movie places so much emphasis on the idea of like whether men and women can be friends and not just whether Harry and Sally can be friends, but whether men and women in general can be friends. And the way that the ending is structured, the movie is essentially saying that Harry is right in the beginning of the movie when he's at his most obnoxious, that men and women can't be friends and that the only way for Harry and Sally's relationship to ultimately work is for them to get married. 
And that I kind of was irritated. Like, I'm fine with rooting for these particular characters to get together romantically and not just be friends. But the way that it extrapolates that to all relationships, I found a little irritating. Um, well, I mean, you know, there was a moment after the two had slept together where Harry at the wedding for Marie and Jess, where Harry asked Sally if they could just go back to being friends and she was the one who said no at that point right well i'm not blaming one of the characters i'm blaming the movie for sort of pushing that perspective and and in part it's because it became such a sensation and that's not the filmmaker's fault necessarily that that people maybe buy into it more because of this movie yeah but that scene is so great where you know she he's i forget how he starts it but he makes a metaphor about a dog, you know? Right. And she goes, is there a the dog in this metaphor? Yeah, yeah. Am I the dog? You know? Right. She's very, she's very good. Like Meg Ryan. And yeah, man, you look at, you know, where she's at now and it's like, man, where are you? Meg? Ryan? Yeah, no, she is fantastic in this movie. And I think I liked her performance again. I'm not a Billy Crystal fan and I kind of sort of grudgingly tolerate him, but I liked her performance a lot in this movie. And I think it goes a long way toward believing in this romance and, and eventually for me rooting for them to succeed in getting together. The other thing I really don't like are those interstitial segments with the couples talking about how they got together. Oh, you're I crazy. hate that stuff. It's so good. It works. It all works so well. And it's, you know, all based on real dialogue and the, from other, from real couples. And then they got actors. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's feels very punched no, up and fakey. No, you're totally wrong because you're moving from sequence to sequence, right? So this is like just the palate cleanser. But you can't, you don't want to see, okay, have a nice life. And then it like just goes to the screen five years later. And then we see them. We need that minute in between to like clear the palate, I think. I mean, A, I think it would have been fine to just transition because that five years later is like a, a slap in your face. You're like, whoa, they really didn't see each other for five years. And if that happens immediately, I think there's a, a real transitional effect there. But also, like, you could have put something else there in the middle if you wanted. And I just think this movie, like, one of its strengths is is the way it feels natural. And those, and, and also the way that, I mean, maybe not now because it's so famous, but if you were watching this without any knowledge of it, that you maybe don't know whether Harry and Sally are going to get together romantically or they're going to be friends or what's going to happen with them. And putting those scenes of those long married couples and their cutesy meet, meet cute stories in there kind of gooses it and, and takes away from the naturalistic feeling. of No, it. you're 100% wrong because they are real stories one. And because that ties into the ending, the ending is those two on the couch. Yeah. Which I could have done without that too. I think it works great. And that was an improvised scene there. There was no script for that one. You know, um, yeah, I watched some of the like deleted elements of that, and you can definitely tell that they're improvising, and Billy Crystal is kind of going off and making her laugh, and that's fine, but yeah, I just it all plays out so well, it's a perfect bookend, so um you're you're wrong, and we all think so, yeah. right Dave <laughs> uh, no comment Dave, have, when you, have you, you seen this movie? movie uh many, many, many years ago it's it's, it's Get great out of here, Dave. it's great it's good oh, movie. you agree with me uh, I'm in the middle somewhere between in, you guys, Dave. um, you know. Look, one other scene that I wanted, which is like, I think maybe my favorite scene in the movie is they're at a New Year's party and they're like just each other's date because neither of them have a date. And they're like really comfortable friends and they're dancing and they're cheek to cheek. And like you could tell that's the moment they realize like, oh, I love this person and not in a platonic way. And they both do such a good job of getting that across on their faces, you know? And then it doesn't just jump to like, oh, we got to be a couple. They still try to like respect their friendship and, you know, kind of 
ward that off and fight that off. And I just think that scene is like one, like, you know, I, I know we gave Rob Reiner a bunch of crap for North, but like he directed the hell out of this movie. And that scene in particular is just amazing. Yeah, that scene is very good. And like I said, I like this movie overall. I think it has a lot of strengths. You asked me what I don't like about it. And to me... Right. Well, if we just went back and forth and I was like, I like this and you were like, right, I like this right. too. Well, I just want to make it clear that I do think this is a good movie. And I think you're right that Rob Reiner really does direct the hell out of it and that the writing is fantastic, but he brings it to life in a way that, you know, you have to give him a lot of credit for it. And the performances too. Um, and... I think Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby, as you mentioned, as the the best friend characters, add a lot to this as well. Yeah, they're both really fun. I like them both. Yeah, I loved uh, Carrie Fisher's Rolodex that she breaks out. <laughs> a little wacky. To, uh, to find Sally, someone that she can date uh, when she's just broken up with her longtime boyfriend. Well, how about that sequence where, you know, this happens after they've, you know, kind of realized they're, they love each other. But they're like, well, we should, you know, Harry wants to fix Sally up with. Jess and Sally wants to fix Harry up with Marie and they go out to dinner and it's clear that the chemistry is between Jess and Marie. And I think the way that was done was really, really done well too. And, you know, they eventually both agreed to their friends. Yeah, you could call them, just don't do it tonight. And then they, you know, Jess is like, uh, 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 taxi, uh, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, And then she's like, yeah, I'll go too. And then they just leave and now they're together. Right. Yeah. I like that. I mean, and that's, I think one thing that's tough in a romantic comedy that maybe this movie sort of, maybe not invented, but really like pushed the, the sort of the best friend characters who get together, but it's like in the background of the main characters. And a lot of movies do that in a very like not believable way. But I felt like even with the minimal amount of screen time they have, I could buy into those two characters getting together and their story kind of happening in the background. I think so. And the argument over the wagon wheel table. Yeah, that's good stuff. That Harry and Zell, like you said, there's tons of quotable lines in here. Um, this was one of the first movies to talk about stuff like a transitional boyfriend, girlfriend, or fake orgasms. And I just think to me, like I said, everything worked. And, um, you know, this was also like kind of the breakout for Harry Connick Jr., you know, who took a bunch of standard songs and had a Connick Jr. them up, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another way that this movie gets compared to Woody Allen is that not only in the New York setting and the dialogue and the romance, but I mean, the use of big band jazz music on the soundtrack. I mean, it makes sense to do classic love songs for what, you know, they're telling as a um, flipped on its head classic love story. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but I think there's just so many elements of this movie that like invite those Woody Allen comparisons. But I know, um, you know, and I love the locations. Very cinematic. You see him walking through probably Central Park in the fall, which is the poster and, you know, um, just New York in the winter with the Christmas tree and Rob Reiner said he wanted like all these beautiful locations because these two are so in their own little worlds that they don't even notice all the beauty going on outside of them and you know like Harry's apartment you got that view of the Empire State Building just it's all there for me um, I'm right you're wrong I'm not in dis- <laughs> I'm not in disagreement with you overall no I know you liked it yeah you I, liked it. I did like it so yeah. I want to go back to that scene with between Jess and uh, uh, Marie when they first meet. And the, the, the big spark moment is when Marie quotes a line that turns out to be a, something that Jess wrote. Has, have you ever had someone quote you back to you as a writer? Right, that's what he said. No one's ever quoted me back to me. Yeah. I've had people reference stuff that I've written back to me. I've had people quote my jokes to me, which I always like because 
I uh, have a huge ego as a comedian. No, because <laughs> it's fun when people remember your jokes and uh, and reference them to you in in real life. So that's the closest I'd say. Yeah. How yeah. About you. I don't know. I was trying to think if that had ever happened. I mean, not not certainly in like a romantic context, but. It, it's possible, but not that I can recall. I had a, you know, Josh, you know this. I had a joke that I used to do about the television show BET Uncut, and the punchline had me kind of in a rap mode singing, uh, pour some champagne on that ass, and people love quoting that back to me. So. You used to have some t-shirts with that slogan on them. If you want one, guys, <laughs> holler at me. There's still some left in the box. Just uh, hit me up on Twitter at jharriscomedy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think we've covered everything that you, you like here. So is there any other aspect that you want to highlight of this film? No, I mean, we, uh, we mentioned Rob Reiner in that, in that last, um, episode North that we did. <laughs> Not the last episode. <laughs> the last but... time we covered him, but yes. again, like, let's just kind of look at that incredible run he had, you know, it was, uh, in the eighties where, um, yeah, man, he he just went nuts as a director. Yeah, I mean, Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride. And I mean, at this point, he was known for being a sort of a comedy director, although I think Stand By Me came before this, which is not really a comedy. What came before this, yeah, is, so this is Spinal Tap, amazing, right? The sure thing I've never seen. I haven't seen that either, yeah. but I think that was a pretty successful comedy. Yeah, Stand By Me, very good. Princess Bride, masterpiece. Then this, then Misery, which is great. Then a few good men, which is great, and then North, the North. But then he came back with the American President right afterwards. Yeah, I mean, then that really the American President is kind of the end of Rob Reiner's place as a great director. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Bucket List was a big hit, but like that, that the American President is where it kind of. Yeah, but I mean, at the up. point that he made this movie, he was like just on this amazing run that that this brought even maybe to a new level. I think it did bring him to a new level because like you said, it's a different type of movie, right? So now he's done straight up comedy. He's done fantasy. He's done romantic comedy. And then he's going to go right after this into like Stephen King thriller into, into very heavy drama. And like he proved very adept at all of those. So Yeah. Until he didn't, <laughs> um, but this is a, an extremely well-directed movie. I, I want to emphasize that, that really all, I think that's what's, What's the best thing about this movie is that all the elements work together. The writing, the direction, the acting, the cinematography, the locations, as you say, like it all builds that relationship and makes it work. Yep. Uh, out of five fake orgasms, I'm giving it five fake orgasms. All right. Gosh. I'm going to give it three and a half. I thought that orgasms. Yeah, but it's good, again, so. I think it's a good movie. I like it. Um, I think a lot of it holds up remarkably well. I think in the run of this show, in our show, the awesome movie year. Oh, is that our show? Yeah. Uh, this is the second one I've given five to. I don't know if you've ever given five. I, I gave five stars to Heather's. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, I did once in this. Yeah, and 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 both very good movies. So we'll come back then and talk more about the legacy of When Harry Met Sally. Do not listen while hungry. Hi, my name is Stephanie Barajas, host of All Rice, No Beans, a podcast all about restaurants and the people behind some of your favorite spots to eat, where we talk about how they started, all the ups and downs, and my favorite part, the food and drinks. Ooh, and let's not forget about the desserts. So subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Also, follow me on all social media because I have the pictures of all the food. And if you want to be on my podcast and you're a restaurant owner or in the business, email me at allricenobeanspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, you were warned. Don't listen while hungry. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we are talking about Jason's personal pick, When Harry Met Sally, and the legacy of this movie is massive. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, it's so funny when we talk about like people who are influenced by Tarantino, right? It's like, well, without even knowing it, they're influenced by Martin Scorsese because Quentin Tarantino is so influenced by Martin Scorsese. Um, so I would say right now we're in like literally that third third generation of like this. Um, and I know some, you know, writers have said this. This movie has influenced every romantic comedy that's come since. And this is probably still the master, the master stroke of uh, romantic comedies. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely created so much of what we think of as the structure of romantic comedies. I mean, not that the things didn't exist like this before. I mean, you can go all the way back to It Happened One Night. Sure. And, and especially the like first uh, segment of this movie where Harry and Sally are on that road trip very much reflects uh, It Happened One I Night. I think, and this is what's so brilliant about it, right? It does harken back. And it does do some of those pillow talky things with them on the phone, right? But it all feels so, it felt so fresh and still feels very modern, you know? And like, even going into like, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, if not my favorite show, probably, you know, probably one of all of our favorite shows of all time is Seinfeld, right? And this, I think you could say in a lot of ways, kind of influenced that style as well. Yeah, yeah. The the talk between uh the friends and i mean even in a weird way like jerry and elaine on seinfeld are like harry right. and sally if they never became romantic if they yeah. just remained friends i think so. so yeah i hadn't thought about that but that's true it is so influential and i think but at the same time even though because it's so influential like a lot of what it does that was fresh at the time we're now very familiar with but you can watch this movie and it's it doesn't feel false i think so that's the whole thing is like sometimes those things like you know like this scene where Harry finally tells Sally he loves her. I love the way you're, you know, you get this crinkle in your brow when you're upset with me. And I love the way you do this. Like we've seen that now a hundred times. Right. Like, I love this. I love that. But this, this felt as, as far as, and then, you know, the classic running to the airport to, you know, he's running down the street to, to make sure that she knows that he loves him and uh, that he loves her and blah, blah, blah. You know, I agree. I think all this stuff, does feel real as opposed to the imitators where it feels like, Oh, we saw the best and now let's try our own. Version. Right. But it certainly is reflected in, in basically every romantic comedy had that's been made since I was amazed. And if this is true, that you mentioned like the idea of the, the transitional relationship as something this movie coined, but also the term high maintenance. Did that not exist before this movie? I remember that was one of the things that they said was uh, talked about here and not, not before here. Yeah, that's so. insane to think that they invented that in this movie because that's such a well. Let's talk about Nora Ephron. Thing. Right? Yeah, let's talk about Nora Ephron because she was pretty much working until she died. About I think 2012. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, this to me, um, after this, she started directing and big hit out of the gate with Sleepless in Seattle. But this, uh, which I've not seen, have you seen that? No, I haven't. I mean, she directed uh, both of those big Meg Ryan, Tom right. Hanks romantic comedies, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, and I have not seen either of them. And then I think the last thing she 
directed was Julie and Julia. Yeah, she had a very uneven career as a director. And I think in a weird way, her career after this movie kind of mirrors Meg Ryan's, where both of them had big successes after this making romantic comedies. And when they tried to branch out beyond that, it was not as successful. And especially for Meg Ryan, I mean, really almost any Meg Ryan role that you think of that was a successful movie is a romantic comedy and anything else she tried to do just didn't work out for her. Yeah, we're starting to, and I, she hasn't really done anything in a little while now. Yeah, but. she's really, she's had long periods of not working. And then when she does work, it's in these very small projects. And and it's a shame. I mean, she is so good in this movie. And this wasn't her first role, but this was really her breakout. I mean, again, listening Joe to- Joe versus the Volcano. Joe versus the Volcano was after this, yeah. Um, um, right afterwards. But yeah, listening to Siskel and Ebert talk about this and Ebert says, you know, obviously Billy Crystal is someone they're very familiar with. And he says, oh, and this Meg Ryan who was in uh, Inner Space and DOA, you know, it's someone that they really aren't familiar with. Um, and this movie made her into such a big star. She really holds her own. Billy Crystal, you know, like I think one of the things you don't like about him is that like he draws a lot of attention to himself oh, as God, an actor. Yes, he does. But she really holds her own, you know, like against him, you know. Yeah, um, she does. I think they they play off each other well. And maybe one of those other people who could have been cast instead wouldn't have been able to kind of pull the energy from Billy Crystal the way that she does. And and I do think it's a shame that her career, I mean, she had plenty of success after this. And I'm sure if I went and saw some of those other romantic comedies that she was in, I would find her just as charming. But I think it's a shame that she wasn't able to have the kind of full career that I'm sure she would have liked to have after this movie. Yeah, uh, just um, this is the height for me. This in, this in uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah, Joe versus the Volcano, kind of an underrated movie. I remember seeing that movie I saw in theaters when me it too. came out. Yeah, yeah, and loved it. And I don't think I've seen it since then. But you don't like any other Billy Crystal uh, project. I mean, or... I feel like if I ever like Billy Crystal, it's like this movie where I like him sort of in spite, I, or I like the movie in spite of his presence. In How it. about Monsters Inc. and Monsters University? I mean, he's fine in that stuff. Um, those movies are are charming, the, but the reason those movies are good doesn't have anything to do with Billy Crystal. Those movies are good because of Pixar. And if someone else did did the voice of that that monster character that he does, it would easily be just as good. Well, he did it. He did a good he's fine he's fine i mean and i think billy crystal is someone that i remember as a kid i i hadn't seen this movie but i certainly saw the city slickers movies uh and i think liked those when i was 11 years old or whatever uh reunion with bruno kirby and billy crystal um and i used to love watching the oscars and i watched billy crystal host the oscars many many times and i think i loved that but to me billy crystal of all the things about this movie billy crystal has aged the worst like I look back on every on Billy Crystal and just cringe. And I watched his I don't know if you ever saw his one man show, 700 Sundays, that was uh, recorded for an HBO special a few years ago. And that is just the most mawkish, like you talk about, like, look at me kind of style. Like, I just hated it so much. Was that was that did he write a book? on? The- I think he wrote a book. I mean, it's about his life, but it just felt like such phony nonsense. Well, they're doing uh, another Harry Met Sally type thing now, Billy Crystal and uh, Tiffany Haddish, the movie they got coming out this year, I think this year called Here Today, about like an older, down on his luck, you know, comedian who meets a young, you know, uh, street musician and they just become friends and, you know, 
so that old people and young people can get along. Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish aren't going to like have sex in that movie. No, they? no, they stayed there. For, okay. I hope they do. That's good. I hope they I don't. Want them to. Yeah, I mean, and I think like as he's gotten older, Billy Crystal has just gotten more hacky and more annoying. I don't know if you watched that FX show that he had with Josh I didn't Gad. Like it, but Josh Gad was really annoying in that he show. He was, yeah. That, that that show was just like a... Josh Gad is like the current Billy Crystal, yeah, I feel like. Josh Gad, who Dave's hair looked like. Josh <laughs> There's another one. Yeah, all right. But uh, yeah, no, Billy Crystal, I, I like him obviously more than you do. I think obviously, you know, as far as Oscar hosts go, he, we grew up with him. He was the best one, you know. And, yeah, we grew up with him. I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, he was the defining one, right. certainly. There is no best one now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do you, there's a book by uh, Thomas Lennon and uh, Grant. What, what's his name? Oh, Robert Ben Grant yeah. from the state. How to yeah. Make a Billion Dollars in Box Office. And like, they're very positive about every single person in Hollywood except Billy Crystal. <laughs> they basically said they had a meeting with him and like he wouldn't turn it off. Like he was just doing shtick. I could absolutely see that. So, yeah. But he was so he was a huge star, like huge. He was a huge star. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's part of the problem that he got really into his own stardom, you know, and just doubles down on every annoying thing about him in in things that he does. Uh, after this but like I said I like him in this movie or I, I like the movie despite his presence in it, and I feel like he does what the movie needs to do and they do have great chemistry I don't think it's despite his presence you're not saying like he was a negative part of this. no but again I feel like if one of those other people had been cast I probably would have liked the movie more maybe but you don't know that they I don't know the same chemistry with Negro that's true and they or do the have same you know the, like, you know, I'll have what she's having, the, the lines that he wrote for the movie. Right, I don't know right. that they would have been. No, there. I'll give him credit for this. But overall, I'm anti-Billy Crystal. And then, as I mentioned briefly before, I do dislike the legacy of this movie making people think that men and women can't be friends. I'm sorry, it's true. <laughs> I, I, I disagree, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't really think that's the point of the movie. Like we talked about, that was not the end, the original ending. It just so happened that these two, I mean, you could even see it, like I said, in that scene there, it just builds that they're right for each other. Right. But what I was saying is that, like, I'm fine with the idea that these two people belong together and have a romance. But I do think the message of the movie, whether it's on purpose or not, ends up being that men and women can't be friends. Yeah. And I just am annoyed by that as a person with a lot of female friends. I mean, what are you bragging now? That you I'm not bragging. I'm saying that this movie <laughs> perpetuates a certain kind of toxic attitude, even though it maybe doesn't mean to. Toxic attitude? Come on, man. Yeah. No way. Get out of here with that. No, I mean, again, I'm not saying that that was the intention, but I do think that because of the widespread popularity of this movie, that that it perpetuates that idea, which is, which is a sexist idea. I, I think you're overlooking it that I think in this one instance, it turned out that they were friends and then they became more than friends, but I don't think they're making the statement on all men and women. So take that back to your woke convention and uh, argue over it there. I mean, again, I think it just on a personal level, it's something that annoys me about the movie. Forget about society. Yeah. Okay. I uh, don't agree with you. And I think people, I don't think this would have found its place in uh, pop cultural lore had they not ended up the way they did. Right. And I think that is part of the problem. But I'm saying it, the reason that it worked is because it was all earned. 
So I think it's you're earned, part of it's, the problem. No, it's earned in the context of those characters, but I think the movie as a whole... Well, the movie's about those characters, Josh. Right, but... It's not it, called it, When it, Man Went Woman. But it is, in a way, When Man Met Woman because of the way that it makes these broad statements. Do you want to go over alternate titles? Because I wrote them all down. Okay, sure. I know, it was, wasn't it called just like When They Met? How They Met. Or How They Met. Some, sounds like something that's... Had, just Friends, which wasn't that a Ryan Reynolds That movie? was, yeah. This one I didn't understand. Playing Melancholy Baby. No, Melancholy Baby is a song. Yeah. I think it might be one of the Harry Connick Jr. Probably, songs. Probably, but not a, good, not a good title. No. Boy Meets Girl. Nah. What about Boy Meets World? That, that, would have, that should have been the title. Blue Moon. Meh. Another song. Right? Yeah. But not the song that we're thinking. Uh, Words of Love. Boring. It had to be you. That's the one that would have made sense. Yeah. And then another song. Yeah. But that song is iconic in this yeah. film. And uh, Harry, this is Sally. No, oh, yeah, that's not a good title. Yeah, this worked. This movie worked as when Harry met Sally. It did. And not when every man and every woman be tried to be friends. I agree. It works as when Harry met Sally. It doesn't work when it broadens its perspective. So that's when Harry met Sally. Sure. <laughs> that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Follow us on social media. Follow us on social media, especially me. Not so much, Josh. <laughs> yeah. I'm you don't a, need to hear what I have to say. No, he's just going to talk about how uh, every single uh, microcosm of a relationship between two people definitely um, conflates to the macro of every relationship between every person. That ever. is what I tweet about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it gets confusing. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at J Harris Comedy. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Jason Harris Comedy, and I'm on the web at Jason, goforjason.com. We're on Twitter at Awesome Movie Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Awesome Movie Year and on the web at awesomemovieyear.com. I am on the web at joshbellhateseverything.com, on Facebook at joshbellhateseverything, and on Twitter at SignalBleed. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find us wherever you listen to this podcast or also on social media at PiecingPod. And you can also join the Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. What do we have next time, Jason? I'm excited for the next episode, Josh. I would be uh, uh, upset if you weren't. Well, I mean, there are definitely movies we do that, you know, you get a little more excited about, I'd right, say. Right, right. And this one, I think what's exciting is neither of us really know anything about it. It's the Sundance Film Festival winner of 1989, not Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which did not win, but a film called True Love, which was not an alternate title for when Harry <laughs> right. But maybe we'll talk about some similar issues. So tune in next time for True Love. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west.